0: Welcome back to Over the Bridge Podcast. Um, It's me, Patrick, aka P-Money. And I'm joined in the studio today by uh, Kwaku. Everyone say hi to Kwaku. Kwaku, say hi.
1: (laughs) What's going on, everyone?
0: Uh, Bilal, what's going on? I'm all good, man,
2: sitting in the sunshine, so it's all nice.
0: Yeah, yeah, last days of summer and all that. Um, And today, um, we have another special guest in the virtual studio with us. Um, it's actually, um, a family friend of mine, um, but also, um, she was at Cambridge with us when we were there, back way back when now, quite a few years back now. Um, and, um, yeah, she has just, well, she's just about to, um, launch a book that she's co-written, uh, which is a very important book, I think, for Black British history uh, and yeah, I'd, I'm not really going to go too much into the introduction because I'd like for her to to tell us about um, who she is and what this book is about and why it's so important herself in her own words. So um, without further ado, um, Samara Linton, over to you. How's it going?
3: Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so as you said, I'm Samara Linton. I am a doctor um writer and I'm currently working in content production. So um yeah I go by many names. (laughs) Um many hats. Many hats. Um you know that thing of jack of all trades, master of none. I'm trying to be master of all. So we'll see how it goes. There we
0: go. That's what I like to hear. I like that energy. So it's mad because like we sort of intermittently keep in touch like we message each other every now and then like how's it going? How have you been? Um but somehow I miss the fact that you have like done this big career change in like the last twelve months. <laughs> so um, before we get into the book, actually, I think maybe um, should we like say what the book is and just kind of touch yeah, on that, yeah, and then and then I can ask a bit more about how you got to that stage. So tell us about this book.
3: Okay, so the book is called Diane Abbott: The Authorized Biography, hmm. and it's. Co written by myself um, and Dr. Robin Bunce, um, who's also a Cambridge man himself, theme here. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, um, so Cambridge is a political historian and he lectures um, at Cambridge University. Mm-hmm. And um, we both have spent the last year, well, he spent it longer than it actually, researching, writing, documenting, interviewing people um, to cover Diane's incredible life um and it's out later this month 24th of September and um yeah it's been a really incredible project and I'm so excited to release it into the world
0: so dope man like when I saw that I was just like because I saw the I actually saw the the book first and I didn't see your name underneath it mm. I think I was on LinkedIn I was like oh finally like you know Diane Abbott's getting like a proper biography. Like this is this is huge, and I see Samara Linton. I was like, no way! Like, when did Samara Linton become like a writer? Like, so <laughs> how did how did you get to that stage? Like, I'm all about like you know changing your career if you feel like you know you want to go in a new direction. So it's really inspiring for me personally. Um, but yeah, how did you how did you become this you know superstar writer that's writing you know one of the most important biographies in you know in recent times?
3: Wow, okay, what a description. Um, (laughs) So I guess context. So I studied medicine and while I was at medical school, um, especially for maybe the third year in, I started to do kind of freelance blogging and freelance writing, just about my own experiences in life and found that I really, really enjoyed that. Mm. And um, that led to me um, partnering up with an old school friend, um, Rihanna Walcott, And then we ended up editing an anthology called The Colour of Madness, and it explores um, mental health and people of colour in the UK. And it was kind of just a mixture of the fact that we have our own mental health issues and didn't feel like it was really reflected in the literature that we read um, and kind of the need to collate those experiences and to challenge um, the mainstream narrative of mental health. So we did that book back in 2018. um, and I guess since then writing has just been a passion of mine and one thing we noticed um is that often writing or literature isn't necessarily that accessible to a lot of people um, and especially because we were talking about mental health um you know a lot of people struggle with huge amounts of text and even just the technicalities of getting a book together we realized that it wasn't the most straightforward process um and for me, it really challenged me and I had to think about, well, what is actually the most accessible way to, you know, reach people, especially marginalized people and what's the most accessible way to tell stories. And like the obvious thing is like TV, radio, digital, you know, that's just like, that's how we consume content.
0: Podcast um, as well,
3: yeah. Yeah, <laughs> podcasts, of course. I kind of include that all in digital, you know, but um, yeah, like that's how we consume content. And so I really wanted to upskill in that area um and that kind of feeling coincided with me um just getting a bit tired of medicine like I'd been working for a year at that point um in a hospital in East London and it was incredible in lots of ways like (laughs) working in medicine is never not going to be dramatic in some way um but it was also quite draining and it was also I already found myself feeling a bit disillusioned and I thought I am like way too young and too early in my career to be feeling like this. So I was like, let me take a year out, have a break, reassess, reset and then go back. So I applied for the BBC production trainee scheme and my plan was to do it for a year, see if it's something I like and then go back to medicine. Um, But I'm still here and I'm loving content production. I'm loving the whole development putting content out um and yeah it's been a really really fun experience um so to go back to the book so I had a, a background of writing anyway and um Robin Bunce I had met while I was a student at Cambridge okay um and um, we had actually met because at the time I went to um church with his wife <laughs> and she invited me around for lunch because you know you're a poor student and you look like malnourished or whatever so I had lunch around at her house with her family um and that's where I met Robin and you know he was like absolutely fascinating um we stayed in contact and Robin also wrote or co-wrote um Darkus Howe's biography um so Darkest Howe um big political um kind of black power leader in the UK yeah yeah. um and he worked really closely with Darkus um wrote his biography diane reviewed it and really loved it and that's kind of how um she agreed to have robin write hers and he brought me on board because he just thought yeah you would be a great person to write this with
0: that's amazing
3: yeah it's a long-winded story but it all kind of came together in the end
0: (laughs) it's worth it i like how like yeah i like stories that are kind of like serendipitous like that like all the pieces just kind of fit together to create something really cool yeah so um yeah. Talk to me about the kind of the writing process and like the, the research, because mm. I guess, you know, you're a bit of a research nerd, like <laughs> working for the, um... the BBC. So, like, how was that?
3: Wow, well, it was, you know, it's it nothing like anything I've ever done before. So before this point, all my research has been very much, I guess, medical, like, you know, just things you do in medical school or for papers or that kind mm. of thing. And the idea of researching history um, had never, ever occurred to me. Like, in school, I hated history. Did you? I hated English. I yeah. hate those subjects, yeah. And, and, yeah. and you would never know it now. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, and I think looking back, I realise it's because those subjects has never seemed to be of any relevance to me. You know,
0: it's thick brain, I think. Yeah, so, like, yeah, so I, I was, like, the complete opposite at school. Really. Like, I didn't, like, well, I was okay at science, but, like, once it got to, like, GCSEs, I was just like, mm. yeah, nah, I can't do this. Maths, forget about it, but like, <laughs> English, history, like, the sort of SAE kind of, like, subjects I was, yeah, I was good at
3: yeah I mean yeah. don't get me wrong I was good at all my subjects
0: okay, okay all
3: right <laughs> yeah you know I was good at all of them it was by it was force wasn't it like my parents <laughs> weren't gonna allow anything <laughs> less, <laughs>
0: less <okay. laughs> you, but, um, you finally saw the light, you uh, saw the light. The yeah
3: honestly I think it was just because the way the curriculum the way I learned it I just thought what's this got to do with my life and by that point I thought I wanted to be a doctor anyway so I just focused on my science subjects yeah but interestingly, I still did philosophy and ethics at A-level. Okay. So there was clearly a sign there that, you know, I was interested in something yeah. beyond the sciences. Um, and I think that's largely due to my teachers. They were just yeah. incredible and really motivated me. And yeah, I think it makes such a big difference. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so fast forward a few years and I'm now researching um, an, a historical biography. Um So I was quite fortunate in that Robin's done this a lot. This is essentially his entire career and he had been researching for about a year before I joined the project. So he'd already been down in the archives, you know, digging out her old school photos and that kind of thing um, for quite a while. And he'd already started the interview process. Um, And then, so by the time I joined, I was focusing a bit more kind of from the nineties onwards. Um, So it was actually very, very, I guess it was very new to me in terms of the process of researching something like history, the process of going through archives. Um, but I, yeah, I think that's the benefit of working with another author is that you can learn from their expertise and learn from their, um, yeah, their experience. So um, yeah, but I mean, I, th- I guess like most things that you have to be, you know, curious, you have to be thorough, you have to be detailed. The book was probably twice the size it is now when we started and then you just cut out all the unnecessary details. But um yeah, I don't really know what to say beyond just like be curious and thorough. I think that's how you do any kind of good amount of research.
1: (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. I wanted to take a little step back, um and ask a question which probably is quite obvious to us as, you know, people on the podcast and just from our background, but maybe not so much for some of our listeners and is really just why do you think um the the biography of Diane Abbott is so important and mm. um something that needed to be to be written, particularly in like this time. I guess she's still an active MP mm. as well, so it's kind of something that tends to happen when, you know, someone's retired or they're unfortunately deceased or whatever the case is. But um yeah, why do you feel like it's really important to tell that story? Story scheme.
3: Yeah. I mean yeah, so if you stand back and if you have no personal or emotional connection to Diane, she was the first black woman to be elected to um, as a member of parliament in the UK. Um, and that was back in 1987. Um, and she was among um, a group of um, the first essentially people of colour to be a- elected into um, parliament as MPs. So way back when she was, you know, smashing through these walls and she entered a very white um a very establishment parliament um and interestingly now 30 odd years later um we have one of the most diverse um parliaments that we've ever seen and i think she her role in that cannot be understated not only was she one of not only was she the first black woman um mp she has had a ridiculously long career. She's been an MP for 33 years and we know she hasn't always been the most popular MP. And we know that she has been through a lot, but she is still here. And that longevity and that tenacity and that like just strength of character, um, that in and of itself makes her story one that is worth telling. Um, And then for me, I think personally as a black woman, Diane Abbott is a child of immigrants Um, Diane Abbott is outspoken about race and outspoken about um, diversity, outspoken um, about issues of equality and I think regardless of what you believe, think about her kind of individual politics and policies, um, I think it's always interesting to see someone who's been a spokesperson in that way for so many years and I think well, I hope that in the book we've kind of shown um, how her, what she's been calling for, what she's been asking for has been kind of consistent over those 33 years um, and the impact it's actually had on how we view those policies and those ideas today.
0: Yeah, that's, um, I think it's, it's really interesting um, what you say about sort of um, her longevity and. Her consistency, and I feel like, because you mentioned also that, um you know, in in I guess in some sort of sectors of society, she's not the most popular MP, unfortunately. Which, obviously, to me, is a complete disservice. Um, but I guess my question is, it's like, well, my observation is, it's mm-hmm. like very funny how, you know, those things in um, mainstream party politics, longevity, consistency, you know, it doesn't really kind of garner any for for some sections of society it doesn't garner um popularity which is mm. kind of mad to me like you know you've had people that have you know stood by what they believe in they're pioneers as well um and they have these incredibly long careers um but yet they've not kind of sort of been wishy-washy they've mm. you know, kept the same political line throughout their their career and they've really advocated for something that they've really stood for something um yeah I I don't know if you have any kind of like sort of observations on that but like I just find it very interesting how that isn't really rewarded so much in in modern politics at least
3: yeah I mean I would say so but I think it is rewarded in terms of the constituency level like her constituents love her and that's why she's been re-elected time and time again for 33 years um so I think it is a difference between what you as like a you know member of the public looking for your local MP what you want and what you admire and what you respect Mm. um versus I guess a party who at the end of the day is trying to win a general election
2: um
3: I think that's essentially what those differences boil down to. Mm.
2: Um,
3: but I do think yeah, at a local level, Diane is hugely, hugely popular. Mm. Um, and at a national level, I guess you see a different picture um, in some areas.
0: Yeah, because I remember in the last election, I think she had the largest margin, right?
3: Mm, one of the Yeah, I mean, she's always had huge, huge margins. And she was like doubling her majorities in years where overall her party was, you know, really yeah. struggling. So, yeah.
0: Um, but also, I guess, like the other huge elephant in the room is, you know, the fact that um, a lot of the criticisms aimed at Diane Abbott are, you know, based on um, her her gender and her race. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, put simply, like misogynoir, like it's and, it, yeah. and it's, it's something that has become very obvious, I think, with the sort of advent of social media. Like before, you know, all of the sort of, I guess, the abuse that was levelled at her would have been, you know, via email or letters or, mm. you know, I guess in a personal capacity. But now, like, we're all sort of able to see, you know, what people all around the country in their living rooms actually think of, you know, the first black female MP. Like, she's, she's a boss, like, she's a pioneer. Um, mm. But, you know, it's like, despite that, despite the fact that, you know, um, she's a Cambridge grad as well, um highly intelligent highly qualified woman um you know the the classic um criticism around her like intelligence and the the time that she um misquoted some figures like that is Mm. that's become the sticking point for so many people across the country um yeah it's just um it's mad but you know having now written her biography do you Mm. feel like that is something that has become worse do you do you feel like or I mean maybe I think... I think that's a naive question to be honest I don't yeah, know no, I, you I kind of it, but... yeah go on yeah I, I don't know if it's something that's become worse but I guess just like with social media and how everything now is so kind of like in your face hmm. it feels like it's become worse but I guess that's always always been the case no
3: yeah I think it's always been the case I think yeah social media's media's made it um really obvious um you know, it wasn't that long ago when they said that half of all abusive tweets directed at female MPs went to Diane Abbott, mm-hmm. um, which is staggering. And yeah. if you look at the kind of abuse that she gets, it's always racialized and it's always gendered. Like it's, you know, people aren't just criticizing her policies, um, but they're making really targeted criticisms of her based on the fact that she is a black woman. Um right. So even for me as a black woman researching that and in some cases recounting it, we don't shy away from that in the book. Um, it's, it's very painful. Um, but it's, you know, it's important that people know the reality of what kind of black public figures go through. Um, but yeah, I think even in the early stages of her career, she's been suffering from that. And I think that's why maybe she's able, she's kind of developed a way of dealing with those things over the years. Um, like the kind of welcome she got in parliament when she first entered, um, the way in which, you know, she's been overlooked sometimes, or the way in which she's been chastised. Um, even if they're not, you know, calling her racist terms, I think it's sometimes it's quite clear to see um those undertones. Um and I also think the abuse always ramps up the closer she is to a position of influence. So um obviously when she was um Um, shadow home secretary for example you know people are thinking well this woman could be our home secretary and then it kind of when you're kind of more in the public eye like that you you are more open to um abuse as well in a way that you wouldn't be if you were just kind of a small backbench mp um so i think it's yeah partly to do visibility um but i think the abuse has always been there (laughs) honestly like yeah
0: yeah yeah um and obviously now, you know, there um, are several other black female MPs. Mm. Um, she, you know, obviously she kind of paved the way for, you know, others to come after her. Uh, and it's like, it's so dope that she's like, she's still there while, you know, those people that most likely would have looked up to her at the time mm. that she was elected. Um, yeah, they're sort of, you know, there with her now, like in the trenches. But, you know, do you feel like with with the writing of this biography and um, with more um black female mps um in the houses of parliament do you feel like you know we're getting to a point a a turning point where you know there 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 is some sort of change um whether it's institutional or just kind of on a personal perception level for people around the country that you know this normalized thing of having black female mps um or do you feel like there's a bit more of a, a a backlash to it um because i guess you know these kind of changes then then you know they don't sort of they don't happen easily they don't happen without resistance
3: um i think a bit of both i think the fact that people are electing black female mps says something mm. um because you know no one's telling you what well, people are telling you but no one's forcing you um to take their name on the ballot. Um, So I think there is, you can see that there is clearly an acceptance that wasn't there necessarily, you know, a few decades ago. Um, But we also have to kind of look at where they're being elected and is that representative of the whole country? Um, And I think you'll see no. Um, And even when they are elected, it's kind of what positions do they take in their party? What influence do they have? Um, So I would say there's definitely progress. Um, I wouldn't, I'm not optimistic by nature, just about anything in life. So I'm, I'd am i be always um, a bit wary to comment on what this means for how progressive um, our politics will be and how progressive the nation is when it comes to um, race and gender um, in politics. Um, but, and I think also people, um, Black women being elected, um, and this is me speaking personally, um, there's no point in black women being elected if their politics are <laughs> counterproductive to the rest of us out here Yeah, um
0: for sure. and without
3: naming any names you know we've seen the rise of certain we um, can name names Ah, uh, no me i can't be naming names in this <laughs> i have to protect my <laughs> brands isn't it but um um i know you can i mean we know we know anyone's on twitter you know <laughs>
0: I've known names on previous episodes. So oh my go gosh! Okay, all right. I did the dirty work for you. Your hands can stay clean. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we know there's certain black people who, you know, great they're black, but what's the like? They might as well not be in terms of the words that are coming out of their mouth and the things they're advocating because it's not for the rest of us. It's for them. So I'm always a bit wary as well. For me, I want to see like great. It's good to see black women in power. I think that has a huge impact on young people coming up and the kind of conversations that I had in the room. But at the end of the day, I want to see what's coming out of your mouth and what you're actually doing. And for me, that's more important. So I'm going to wait and see before I comment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. That was a very diplomatic answer. Maybe <laughs> we need to go into politics tomorrow. No, right? <laughs> honestly.
3: If anything, this book has told me, it's not for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> fair, fair. Um I feel like I've been dominating the airways for a little bit. So um, I, have, I have actually got more questions, but um, I'm opening up the floor. Um, to to my co-hosts
2: I hope hopefully I haven't stolen any of your questions either I don't even know if there's questions left man you've just been in this but um, I was thinking like when writing this book what were some of the Because I guess when people talk about Diane Abbott, like everyone, it gets quite deep very quickly. It's like a black woman politician, you know, the conversation gets quite deep. What were some of the more fun or random or funny bits that maybe you found that you're like, wow, that was actually really interesting to look at? Mm.
3: Oh, I think, you know what? It's just, it's her, like her character. Like you said, we don't always see the like fun, playful side of her in the public eye. But this girl's been feisty since day one. Like, um, there's a bit in the book where she's at Cambridge and she's having a supervision. And her supervisor um explains that I think she is the only student to have stamped her foot at him while sitting down in a supervision <laughs> because she was so like frustrated with what he was saying. Um, and it's like you kind of just see that 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 strength of personality and character throughout um even just in terms of the, some of the speeches that she's given, mm. the 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 snide and snarky remarks that she's made, um, I think she she brings the lightness to the book just in terms of like mm. how she is. We haven't really had it had to like you know seek them out and add any per se because she's just funny, um, and I think I've really enjoyed showing that side of her because you know we all need a bit of light and dark, um, so. Yeah, and there's like really lovely moments where she goes to Jamaica for the first time, and you know meets her family back home, and those kind of just like those things that you relate to if you are you know either an immigrant or a child of immigrants. Like it's just nice to see yourself in that kind of way.
2: Mm. Yeah, and I, th- I think I think that's like it's really interesting because when you were talking about you know when you're a public character and the closer you get to position of influence, the more the more bad stuff is said about you. And you never really, I mean that like for me anyway, I never really get to see just the humanity of someone. Mm. And um, yeah, I guess it just, it's just cool how that hopefully might come across in the book.
3: Yeah, so to be honest, we've even dedicated an entire chapter to Diane's like life in the media and not just like the media's portrayal of her, but she's been on game shows. She's been on- um Swift. All sorts of quiz shows. <laughs> Like we talk about her going on Condine with me. And that Probably was actually right. such a fun chapter to write because it's just her like being a normal person. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And like I said, like it was just such a nice kind of breath of fresh air, um, kind of in the middle of the book where you're like, you know what, she's an MP doing all these horrible, th- like you're not horrible things, but like dealing with really serious things. But she's also able to get people drunk and rum punch at a party, you know? it's <laughs> great. <laughs>
2: That's cool, man. Yeah, that's kind of just what I wanted to touch on. Quakey on my throat to you if you're there. Yeah, Nami. No, <laughs> um,
1: it it kind of not the tracks, but it gets a bit more serious, and we'll we'll, we're we we'll getting into a lighter tone. <laughs> I'm just gonna <laughs> take it right back. Um, I was wondering, like, um, kind at one point her relationship with, um, as far as just like you know a friendship, I guess, with Jeremy Corbyn, um became a a talking point for the media in a way for her to well I guess more um kind of insult mm. and abuse was levied to her because of that relationship um and I was wondering whether that was something that um you touched on in the book like just how and in, in, uh, well I, if that's kind of like my observation but I don't know if it's really the case but like how she was kind of catching strays if I could put it that way <laughs> just due to the fact that obviously publicly Jeremy wasn't the most popular with um quite a large subset of of the British public as well
3: yeah no we definitely talk about that um yeah so it's almost like um especially when it was you know looking like maybe Jeremy could win an election people really love him um Diane was used as a surrogate so you could hurt him through hurting her um because of their friendship and because of like you know their extensive career together. Um and without you know giving any spoilers (laughs) because I do want people to read the book. And we do look into like (laughs) the kind of relationship they had and how that was used to belittle her especially um which really frustrated me I think especially as a woman because that the fact that you know people are looking for some sort of sexual relationship to undermine her getting her position that tale is Mm. so old honestly like i was like really this is what we're really doing we're gonna say oh you slept with the boss and that's why you've got this position um but i think yeah read the book to see what you know diane and jeremy and others who knew them say actually happened um but i feel like the takeaway is just like it was very i think i just think it was really sexist to be like oh you're a woman you you know Sex must be the reason why you've got into this position, and then mm. yeah, just using their friendship um, to t- tear them down. I just think it's a bit, you know, it's just a bit nasty, really. Um, you know, I think me personally, I think politics should be about the policies. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. And I think yeah, it, it got very personal, very very quickly, and because of social media, we all saw that um, in real time. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um and I guess a follow up question because one thing we've noticed with Diane is that um a lot of the criticism and abuse that she's received has actually also been friendly fire to some extent like people within her own mm. party that have uh you know publicly been um you know just really nasty towards her um and I don't know what my question actually is in regards to that but you know that 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 element of betrayal i guess is that is that something that she's um and again i don't want to be (laughs) advocating for spoilers but is that something that she's ever expressed
3: yes um i think there are certain people where you can kind of expect that to come from because um, as we know like you know the labor party there's like a quite a broad spectrum of views anyway um within the labor party and they've kind of fluctuated towards more left-leaning or more centrist or whatever you want to call it but we know there's a broad spectrum of views um within the Mm. party so there's certain like ends of the spectrum where you expect criticisms for um or there's certain you know like incidents which makes it you know kind of clear who your friends are and who enemies are um but there are also moments of betrayal um and I think betrayal that maybe the public aren't so aware of um Mm. so again yeah no spoilers but I think yeah, it's those ones where you least expect it that hurt the most. Um, and but there is that saying, you know, if you want a friend in politics, get a dog. And um, yeah, she said it herself. She's like, well, I guess you know that should have been a, a warning to me and a message to me. So, and I think that's for me another reason why I think politics could not be for me. It just seems so incredibly lonely um yeah because you know you could have all these friendships but also they might not get re-elected next election so then there's your ally in parliament gone or you know they might be up for another position and they you know are gonna maybe not maybe sell you out but you know they're going to try and go for that position because that's their kind of career priority at this time um yeah it just seems very very lonely
1: Mm. yeah like i've always been very much of the the mindset that yeah politics is just a dirty game and um you know it, even if you're not dirty coming in you, you're gonna yeah, you are gonna get a bit messy somewhere mm. in the process so, <laughs> um and is somewhat of a weakness to be like pure hearted as well, souls you can you know i think diane's a uh, evidence of that so um i wanted to ask another question um which applies to diane but i'm sure just applies to many black women in general and um, particularly those that are in quite high-powered positions or um, have careers that, of course, like, you know, take a lot of your your time and energy. But, like, her, the balance with that and, like, being a mother and, like, um, you know, just the whole family thing and, like, having such a high-pressured career, like, um, how, I mean, does she... And again, again the spoilers, but <laughs> <laughs> I just got loads of questions. But um, that dynamic, and was that something that you resonated with? Obviously, um, I don't think you have children, mm-hmm. but just as far as, like, you, things you may have seen with, like, women in your family and, and that kind of thing, does that touched point. Yeah,
3: I mean, like, I think people forget Diane was a single mum while she was an MP. Um, and, yeah, we touched upon it a bit in the book. And, like, there was one point where she's like, was really struggling to get childcare, so she just brought her son mm. into parliament and everyone was in uproar, like, how can there be a child in the House of Commons? You know, it's bad enough that this person brought their dog. How can we now have this child? And it's like, well, you know mm. what? You lot weren't really very supportive in her getting childcare and, you know, providing their facilities and working around the fact that she's a mum. She returned back to her work like days after, you know, she gave birth. Like, it's, wow. in, it's actually very incredible. And like, yeah, I haven't had children and I can't even imagine what that must have been like um and I think she kind of just took it in her stride but I think in a way a lot of our mums and aunties and grandmas did as well um mm-hmm. you know what choice do you have <laughs> you can't just lie on the floor crying like you have to you know get up and go and you know that's partly where all this kind of narrative of that woman being strong and blah, blah blah comes from um but it does take a toll and then um, I think that's why in many ways a lot of us look at Dan and just think, How? Like, how have you managed yeah. to do this? Because it's hard. Um, and she acknowledges that it's hard. And I think we we try and show those moments of vulnerability um where where we find it. Um but yeah, no, it's 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 rough. And um, you know, she came under a lot of criticism for decisions about, you know, where she sent her son to school and you know, how she can be a voice for the, you know, working class when X, Mm. Y, and Z. Um, And it's very interesting because in responding to that. She always draws on her kind of Jamaican heritage, her West Indian heritage, in terms of how she made decisions that she did um, for her son and Mm. especially decisions around education. Um, And I found that very interesting because it just resonated with me. Like I told you, I had no choice, but to be good in all my subjects. Yeah. At school, and it's just like you know, it's educational bust. Like, that's what, what choice do you have? And especially because my parents are teachers, um I really had no excuse not to do well in school. um And you kind of, yeah, you see that kind of like we know, we know what you know, black parents are like <laughs> when it comes to education, and you mm-hmm. see that very, very clearly in mm-hmm. her and in the way that she was raised as well.
2: Mm. You, sorry Patrick, I know yeah. you're you trying to come in But that, that actually really made me think a lot Because I actually have a distinct memory Of sitting in my mum's mini When I was about nine years old Outside Wembley's Park Station And my Mm. mum going off on one as to like how Diane Abbott's a hypocrite. And like my Mm. mum, my mum's probably listening to this. But she'll remember this too. (laughs) I think even to this day, she still feels the same about Mm. how Diane Abbott can be a voice for working class black people, but also Mm. like be a hypocrite in that sense, in terms of the choices of where she sent her son to school. And I was just wondering in terms of the book, because I know like now, particularly in the last couple of years, Diane Abbott's almost become like a iconic cult hero for black women in the young black women within the UK um, with the rise of like the womanist movement for young women in the UK at the moment. And I was just wondering who, who is Diana but a role model for?
3: Oh, that is a question. I think it's interesting because she never really, you know how some people be like, oh, I'm a role model for black women or for work. She's never really said that um, about herself. Um, Even in the process of interviewing her for the book, she's never really spoken out about who she thinks she's a role model for, but she has noticed and her peers have noticed that often it's young black women, um, especially in recent years who've stood up for her and been really vocal, especially on social media. Um, And also in the early days, just women in general, I think, because there were so few women in parliament um, and so few women... Um kind of speaking up for you know quote unquote women's issues um I think people looked up to her in that regard um and then I guess just anyone whose politics aligns with hers, I think to have someone with i guess your politics um in parliament for so long and advocating for them in so- such a long time um I guess she might be a role model to them as well um but interestingly said Bilal about your mum and the rant like I think diane acknowledges at the time she thought it would be the end of her career when she made that decision um about where to send her son to school um she thought that that's it like you know no one's got, i'm not going to be re-elected i'm a hypocrite blah 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 um and yeah it was quite interesting um to listen to her and how she made the decision that she did and why she still stands by it um and i don't think everyone's going to agree with her i don't think um she's necessarily, you know, made the most clear and succinct decision, but I think in reading it I, 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 and in hearing her speak, her decision just resonated with the kind of things my mom would say, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, you know, whatever I believe, whatever I believe is one thing, but you know, my kids, and you know, if that's hypocritical, I guess so be it. Um, But it was very, I think, yeah, you can say it's hypocritical, but you can still maybe empathize with the decision, even if you disagree with it. Mm. Um. So yeah, it's, I mean, I, I think so. Yeah, anyway. no, I, I hear
2: that. Because I think like when often you hear about, particularly nowadays you hear about Diane Abbott and it's almost mm. immediately you think, oh, okay, this is like the positive side of this is that young, like you said, young black women in particular might go, oh yeah, this is someone that I can look up to and relate to. And I guess like with a whole book coming out about her, um, who, who do you want to read the book?
3: Yeah. Oh gosh. Oh. I mean, it's easy to say everyone, isn't it? Because I think it's like, if you love her, you'll read it. I mean, I'm assuming. Um, but I think even if you hate her, you'll read it because we haven't, we haven't really had anything that looks into her life in that way and explores why she is the person she is. Um, so I would think if you've got any strong feelings about Diane Abbott, then you'll read the book or well, you should read the book. Um, but i think even just as a piece of history um i think it's vital i think it explores the politics in britain from the 80s to this day you know she's been in parliament for pretty much every significant um moment of history of political history um since since the 80s so you know she's always had something to say about a lot of the issues um voted on a lot of issues she's gave she's given many many speeches in parliament um so i think even just from a historical perspective i think um the book um is very fascinating from that point of view and like i said robin is a political historian so that's his area of um, expertise and we do try and give that perspective as much as we do the kind of perspective of diane the individual we try to give context of the, the political environment at the time um so I think just as a piece of history um it should be read
0: <laughs> yeah I, I was just gonna say um just before you answer the question that um Bilal that was my question um <laughs> it's okay um so right man seeing
2: as you took all 95 of mine I had to take one back <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair, fair.
0: um but yeah I was just gonna add like yeah um with regards to, like, you know, who should read this book, I think it's so important also that, you know, um, us as as black people in this country, um, there's, there's so much of our history that has, like, gone on sort of either, like, before our eyes or before our parents' eyes, but, like, mm-hmm. it's never really been, or at least it may have been recorded, but it's never really been um, disseminated in a way that, you know, we're all sort of aware of, you know, some of the amazing things um, that our community have, have done in this country and have, and have co- contributed. Um, so I feel like, yeah, like, all, all of these um, biographies and um, sort of, uh, I guess, essays and books about, you know, our lived experience in this country, I feel like it's, it's something that should become canon for us. Yeah. Um, at the very least, you know, like, I mean, I don't really know how... You know the rest of the population is going to take to um you know the, this material that's coming out because it's like a lot of great stuff a lot of great writers and a lot of um you know really important thinkers have produced some amazing works like I I think particularly over the last like five to seven years mm. um, but like it's so crucial for us I think um as a community to really tap into like this this gold mine of like of knowledge um because yeah there's so much that our community has done um um that has con- contributed to this country that we're like we're just like it's not common knowledge like okay mm. you know, like people that have read around the subject or you know um know about black british history they they'll know bits and pieces, but like I don't know, I just feel like there's so much that has happened to us and so much that we have done yeah. um that kind of passes under the radar like you think about like i remember um on twitter um black Americans are talking about how we didn't have a civil rights movement <laughs> yeah. like that. and it's like I mean on one hand it's like mad like how how can, how can you think that but also on the other hand I can kind of understand why they'd be ignorant to that because I feel mm-hmm. like you know a lot of us like you know the, the the things that happen in our sort of civil rights struggle um it's not common knowledge like not even for a lot of people our age in the black community so um yeah, ma'am.
3: It's not. It's not at all. And like you know, even in, in school, if you do get taught any kind of Black history, it's usually Black American history or yeah. just slavery. Um, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's literally all it is. Mm. Um, so you know, there is this huge cultural ignorance about Black people in Britain, and mm. and like you said, in recent years, yeah, there've been a lot more, a lot more pieces of content coming out to explore that time. Um, and I'm really excited like it's such an exciting I think time to be um, kind of consuming content um, especially if you are a black person in Britain because we've just never really had this before yeah Um, and so yeah to add to that question below about who do I want to read it yeah I want African Americans to read this book please because I think yeah for so long notions of blackness and notions of race and equality and civil rights movements have been shaped by the American movement. Mm. Um and it's so, so crucial to um diversify that narrative. Yeah. Um and I hope this will be a part of that. And I mm. and I want to see similar books for black people in France. I want to see similar books about black people in the Netherlands. Um because we've been there and I think it's it's such a shame and such a disservice that you know, we're seen as anomalies when you know we've been in these countries or we've been shaping these countries for time.
0: Definitely, definitely, and I think also like um, going back to what you were saying about how um, you know the sort of under, understanding, like concepts of like blackness and uh, civil rights struggle, has sort of been, I guess, shaped by the American sort of version of it, but also. Mm that American version has, um, taken influences from, you know, throughout the diaspora as well. And I think a lot of what we do, um, as black people, wherever we are in the world, you know, we do share similar lived experiences. And because of that, we do take inspiration from other diasporas in other countries. So yeah, it's so important that we do know, you know, what, black French people have been going through or black Dutch people or even black Spanish, black Italian, mm. wherever, um, because it, it does really kind of, um, it, it adds kind of, I guess, a a level of like, gravitas to how much we've like, affected change in our sort of, in our environments, which have often be, been hostile to our very existence. And I think that in itself is like, really empowering to yeah. understand like, you know, what we've done here or what, black Americans have done in the United States or black Dutch people, black French people, like those aren't isolated and they're not anomalies. Like this is like our, this is our history. Like we have a history of excelling in hostile environments. Um, I think, yeah, that for me is like incredibly empowering. Mm -hmm. Um, But I guess um, leading on to my my next question um, was sort of what is next in terms for, Yourself, I know, like you've just kind of, um, yeah, you've just kind of tied this up now. But have you thought about like the next steps for yourself? And then also, um, what do you think are the next steps in terms of, um, of, I guess, sharing and um, promoting sort of Black British history? Um, Because I know you mentioned earlier about the accessibility of books. Uh, where do you see the future for that in us sort of empowering ourselves with knowledge of our own history
3: yeah um so i guess next for me maybe it ties in with next for <laughs> the whole kind of context um so yeah i'm coming to an end of my contract with the bbc um so i'm probably going to just be doing a bit of freelance work from here on but also um we've had like a really positive response to the book so far um yeah. just in terms of like um you know, like proof copies and that kind of thing. Um so I'm excited to kind of see where that takes us in terms of um, kind of how it's disseminated and how it's used yeah um, more widely. Um I can't really speak
0: Is there gonna be a tour?
3: because no, COVID oh. <laughs> like oh yeah yeah it's been honestly it's been such a strange experience releasing a book in covid because usually you'd be doing all sorts of like events and book signings and stuff and i'm just sitting at my laptop um but so we're doing a few online events um which i guess maybe that's more accessible in a lot of ways to a lot of people
0: yeah
3: Um, yeah actually maybe it will pan out and better than if we were physically touring but yeah it's very very interesting um time um to be releasing a book. but yes, I think at the moment I'm very open-ended. Like I'm very just going to see how this goes. Um, I guess continue freelance writing, continue freelance like producing. If anyone wants to employ me, hit me up, please. I'm here. and am waiting. Um, but in terms of like, um, I guess these kind of stories, um, I guess, yeah, I think a lot of people, like I mentioned, are beginning to tell these stories, you know, we're seeing like you know seeing the small acts is coming out and we've had like this huge range of just like black content um and i think that will be part of what we see that it will no longer just be like oh wow there's a new black show coming out It will just be what we expect and it's what we see and i'm looking forward to that um and i think i guess for me because you know research nerd um i'm particularly excited about movements to get more black people into academia um i know it can be a really hostile space for so many back um academics and but their contributions are so vital because you know they shape what we know um they shape the research that's out there they shape the the data and the facts and the stats that go towards making, you know, that go towards the policies and guidelines that shape our lives day to day. So I'm really, really excited about that, um, as well as the content that's coming out at the other end. Um, you guys remind me of your question because I forgot the second one.
0: <laughs> Sorry, I was on mute. Um, yeah, the question was like, what do you, where do you sort of see the future of like sort of how we tell black history? Um wow. like, where where do you think like the sort of um yeah, the strength lies in like disseminating black history and how ha- and how do you think the best way to go about it is in terms of like accessibility and having mm. and, and just making it a lot more kind of I guess accessible?
3: Yeah, um so yeah, like I said, books aren't necessarily the most accessible accessible um platform, but I think they're often a good spot starting point. Um so I wanna see yeah, like TV shows, films, but also like just, I don't know, podcasts, YouTube channels. I think in the same way that you have so many platforms to access, you know, quote unquote, white history, um, we should have that same, you know, kind of access to our history as well. Um, So I don't think we should even be limiting what um, platforms we can see Black history expressed on. And I think the more we do that, then the more we can move away from the idea of black history and then talk about black histories. Um, and, you know, cause there's always this problem of homogenizing. And I think the more content we get out there is the more that it opens up for, you know, the sub, the other, the sub histories and the histories of the groups within the black umbrella, um, that often get pushed to the side because we have so few opportunities to tell black stories. Um, and I guess that was one of the reasons why I was really excited to do, going back to the Color of Madness, because that was about people of color and their mental health. Um, and even for me, like I'm really, you know, one of the things I want to do is kind of turn that that book or that, that idea into a visual anthology um, with people of color. And then, you know, it'd be amazing to zoom in and look at black people and then zoom in and look at black women. Because the more we tell these stories is the more we give space for those more underheard, underrepresented stories within our groups. Um, so that's what I'm really hoping for and what i'm i guess hopeful for
0: yeah. yeah that that sounds amazing like I love the idea of a visual anthology for um for your book like yeah. i think yeah, um, i think I'm quite biased in that, but um, yeah, I think visual storytelling is is so powerful, and like in terms of representation as well mm. um for like just allowing people to see themselves and you know like non black people to see the humanity of black people. Mm -hmm. Um, through that kind of visual storytelling I think it's it's so powerful
3: yeah and see our own humanity I think that's really important I don't think we often get to see our own humanity like I think we need it just as much as you know others um and I think it's great when we can shape that narrative for ourselves
0: definitely talk up the things for sure (laughs) sure. my final question was um did this whole experience um did it like sort of reveal anything to you that you think that you would have been otherwise sort of unaware of, like about yourself or about, I guess, Diane Abbott's story or politics in general? What was one thing that you, like you came away from this thing and was like, rah, like, I'm so glad I did that because now I know this.
3: Mm. Um, Yeah. I mean, I learned, I learned a lot. Like I said, history wasn't my go-to area of interest. So there were just so many things that I just didn't know um, about um the political movements and i guess stages in britain um but i think my kind of my big personal takeaway is that it is possible to be steadfast um in your convictions and your principles um and it's possible to do that and to still advance in your career um you don't have to sell out you don't have to compromise you don't have to you know wait to get to a certain position before you speak your mind um and i think for me that's really important because so often the narrative is you know just get your foot through the door and be quiet and then when you're in a position of power then you can make real change um and i guess in some ways there's truth to that because if you get fired on your first day you can't really make change in that organization. Um, But I think for me, it was really refreshing to see someone who from day one knew what she stood for. And even though it was hard, has held on to that Mm. um, and has changed many lives because of it. Um, So I think for me, that was my kind of my real personal takeaway. And it was just, yeah, really encouraging um, to see someone who's done that in their Mm. own field and own sphere. And I guess I hope I can take that with me into how I live my life
0: yeah yeah well like this feels like the beginnings of a really great career so I'm sure that will be the case I'm really looking forward to seeing what else what else you 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 put out there um thank you yeah it's 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 weird because I'm like I'm talking to you like like I don't know you in a funny sort of way (laughs) but like I know you (laughs) yeah
3: yeah
0: I'm a bit starstruck but also why am I starstruck but I could also be starstruck so
2: no honestly
3: (laughs) If you see me now with my headscarf and vest, like, (laughs) ain't nothing starstruck about
0: this. You love it, you love it, you love it.
3: Um,
0: But yeah, I I don't know um, if other guys wanted to chip in or, um, you know, whether we should just like get you to plug your work just so people know where to find um, the book, obviously. um, Also, um, your previous book Mm. um, and like where they can find you on socials. Are, Are we ready to do that now, guys?
1: Yeah, yeah yeah nothing nothing further than me other than thank you Samara yeah like no great insight into to what you're working yeah, on yeah.
3: for me. honestly it's been good it's been fun <laughs> um, so yeah, plug, plug, all right plug. all right so you can find me um at samaralinton.com dot um I'm on twitter Samara underscore linton um basically just search Samara Linton and I think it will come up and um <laughs>
1: The the strong SEO, the strong
3: SEO. (laughs) I'm trying, I'm trying. Um and in terms of the book, like it's available pretty much every major bookstore and supplier. So Waterstones, Boils, Amazon, wherever. Um, I'm sure there's a few independent bookstores out there selling it as well. So support your local. Yeah. Um and yeah, so you can pre-order it from now. Um and it's out on the twenty-fourth of September. So please, please support, leave your reviews um it makes such a big difference um to us as authors um and just to other people who may be interested in the book but don't really know if it's for them so yeah please do that
0: cool and um i hate to be kind of cheeky but we would love to get a copy or a couple of copies for us to also have a read and like you know so is there any possibility that
1: we could
3: i will ask my publisher
1: Basically, stop being cheap ah, and bad. I
3: know, I know. I'll ask. I'll ask. Don't <laughs> yeah, worry. Um,
0: oh yeah, I think I'm 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 gonna get a copy anyway from my my mum. So um, oh, yeah, lovely. yeah, for sure. But yeah, thank you so much, Samara. Oh, and um, do you want to plug your 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 first book as well? Is it, yeah. was it your first
3: book? The color of madness. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, if you go on my website, you'll find pretty much all the work that I've done. But the color of madness. Mm-hmm. Um came out a couple of years ago and it's yeah. co-edited by myself and Rihanna Walker. Also check her out. She's amazing. Um and yeah, that's just it's a mixture of stories, essays, art, poetry. So very easy to dip in and out of as you please.
0: Cool, cool. Yeah, I remember when that came out actually, and I I still need to get myself a copy. So <laughs> I think I will just do like a little yeah, Sunday shopping spree on Tamara's website. So yeah. Lovely. <laughs> okay. But Tamara, thank you so much it's been a real pleasure and um yeah just all the best with what you're doing obviously keep in touch um mm. i'll drop your whatsapp every now and then to just see how you're doing as always but yeah um thank you for joining us in the virtual studio today yeah thanks um, for
3: having me guys it's been fun
0: yeah it's been it's been really really insightful and just great to talk about a legend you know Diane Abbott um so large up her <laughs> um yeah i think i'm going to wrap then but yeah everyone Thank you so much again for tuning in to Over <laughs> the Bridge Podcast. Uh, I have been Patrick, aka Money, joined by Pastor B. Yeah, Pastor B Bilal, um, Willie Wonka. Quaker, what's your other what's your other nickname? I can't even remember now. He's got...
1: After many, like, you got El Choco, you got, you got Slim Wednesday. You go. <laughs> um,
0: but yeah, that's been us. Um, you can find us at Over the Bridge Podcast um at gmail.com if you want to drop us an email uh wait no did i say that right no it's not that it's Podcast at gmail.com that's our email uh our socials is at Podcast uk um twitter instagram we're gonna have some new content com- coming for you guys shortly so yeah keep your eyes peeled um but for now have a great day um and um, we'll be with you soon over and out take care